Nobody said it was going to be easy, or, I don't know, nobody smart said it was going to be easy. If anybody told you it was going to be easy, you should probably punch them in the fucking face, because they're gaslighting you. As a Leaf fan, you know better. Uh, Leafs lose game five. It was three to two uh, coming home, and honestly, not a particularly inspired effort, not a terrible effort, but not a great effort. Uh, as has become kind of the routine, they, they've pushed it late. Uh, but just not enough. Uh, Matt Robinson along with you here tonight as we take a look back. Buds and Bolts Game 5, as I said. Leafs dropped this one. Heading back to Tampa for Game 6. You already know that. You're not listening to a show like this if you don't already know how the game has played out. Uh, just me here tonight. Matty Lang has uh, has taken the night off. He's out in a bar. He says he's trying to find the passion. And I assume he means... You know, hashtag the passion, that Leafs passion, the passion returns, all that stuff. But maybe not. He could be in search of a different passion, and either way, I wish him luck. I have no such passion. It is a it is a Thursday night. It's a weeknight. I can't be going out looking for the passion. I have a passion for getting this show done quickly and getting into bed. That's what I'm looking for at this point. But I wish Maddie luck. He was kind enough to cover the Saturday show on his own as I had some company in. Uh, made it all the way to 11.30 that night, kids. It was just wild. Uh, and uh, happy to return the favor for him here tonight. Give us a follow on social media, at Audio, and uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. There will be at least one more of these. Uh, game 6 goes Saturday night in Tampa Bay. Uh, because of course it does. That's why we had this extra two-day break, or this extra break uh, this time. Get us back on turn. Make sure we're on when Sportsnet wants us to be on. Uh, That's a whole other thing. Look, interesting game. Like I said, not terrible, but you really wanted to see them come out and kind of run the show. And if you get goalied, you get goalied. They have one of those goalies. And after 72 hours of talking about how the Leafs, oh, the Leafs, they've found the, the, the secret sauce, right? They know how to get to Vasilevsky and nobody else does. Stop. Uh, I don't know whether or not that kind of talk fired up Vasilevsky. I don't know how much he cares. Uh, I think there's something to it. I think Vasilevsky, the book might be that he's a little worse off. We talked about it on this show, I don't know, a night or two ago. And I referenced the guy and I didn't know his name at the time or couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Rob Gerson, at goalie underscore school on Twitter, if you want to follow him all through the playoffs, not just through this Tampa-Toronto series. He's been giving all kinds of great tidbits on what's happening with the goaltenders. And so if you're into that sort of thing and getting into the nitty-gritty and the granular stuff around it, it's been pretty interesting. And so ever since Monday night, when Derek Lalonde, a black hole of charisma that for some reason Sportsnet has invited onto their panel, uh, he mentioned that they did some research and they saw that Vasilevsky... Uh, you know, seems to struggle with point shots uh, after the Leafs had already made that pretty clear uh, with the last two performances. A bunch of us had been chewing on that for a couple days. Rob Gerson had tweeted it out, and not just as a, you know, the same way the rest of us were. Look at the Leafs suddenly scoring on a bunch of point shots. That's weird. 
he dissected it. He talked about why it was happening and the changes in Vasilevsky's stance and about as close as you can get before he drops out of that high stance and gets into his better, wider stance and all these sorts of things, right? That's been out there for several days before everyone loses their mind. I can't believe Derek Lalonde. Did you see what Derek Lalonde said? Yeah, who cares? Some of us have been on this for a while, and like I said, I referenced it to Maddie, and it wasn't supposed to be this, this is what I've noticed. I made it very clear that someone smarter than me, who knows more than me about these things, was putting it out there, and he's a worthwhile follow is all I'm pointing out. While the talking heads are drooling all over Derek Lalonde's one interesting thing he said over the last 10 days, yeah, it was already out there. At goalie underscore school. If you're into this sort of stuff, give him a follow on Twitter. Really interesting guy. And you can talk about whether or not the Leafs got less point shots through. Were you suddenly going to turn your entire game plan into taking bad low percentage shots from the point and way outside? I think there's a way you use that information in your attack, but you don't set up specifically to only take those types of shots. So I don't think that had much to do with tonight. Look, he's one of the best goalies in the world and... He'd been bad for most of the series, if not all of it, and for large chunks of last year's series. So I do think there's something to the idea that maybe the Leafs have found something on him, but he is still one of the best goalies in the world, and this was always possible. Now, I don't know how far you want to go down the road saying this, right? Did we get Vasilevsky tonight? Well, in the third period, when they did show up, and start coming in waves, he was very good. Uh, He made the saves he had to make, but the Leafs did not exactly pepper him with 45 shots and just unrelenting attack all night either. So there's a little bit of both happening, right? He's obviously going to regress to the mean, which is better. I know people hear the word regress and think it means get worse. It means come back to his average, and his average was significantly better than what we'd seen over the last couple of days. So I think we saw some of that. Right? I think we saw him return to form a little bit, uh, but I think the talk over the last couple days about the point shots and the distance stuff, way overblown. Way overblown. There was never going to be an attack plan tonight that saw the Leafs gain the zone, get it in deep, get a glorious opportunity, man wide open in front, and ship it back to the blue line. Like, you're just, that's not ever how this was going to work. So, you tip your cap, he found his game a little bit, but I didn't think the Leafs were particularly hard on him. There were moments, right? There was a couple of great scrums, especially in the third period, uh, but earlier on as well, uh, where they put some pressure on him, and he was equal to the task. Uh, I think the thing that for me kind of, and I'll be honest with you, I came into tonight, and you never know what's going to happen, but I came into Game 5 thinking, I believe the Leafs are going to win this series, up 3-1. Tampa Bay shouldn't beat you three games in a row. Now, I know, I know, in 2021, Montreal shouldn't have beat you three games in a row. And they did. So it's entirely possible that Tampa does. But that's not what I think is going to happen. Coming into Game 5, I still sort of figured this is the year you're up 3-1, You've got some veteran presence brought in to kind of support you. You are a couple opportunities down the road, right? In theory, you've learned from some of this stuff. I do think Toronto is going to win the series, but I had a hard time believing it would be tonight. That Tampa 
would just roll over in five games and let you have this. And if you're one of those people who believes in narratives and believes in stories and believes in, you know, having to slay the dragon, that wouldn't have been slaying the dragon. Just easily punting right through them like paper mache today and and stay being the first team to win a playoff series after all this time, right? Suddenly in one year, you're the first team through looking around, waiting on everybody else. Guys, come on, let's just fucking get on with it, right? No, that was never going to happen. Uh... So I'm not, I want to be careful here. I'm not terrified yet. Now I acknowledge you are now heading to Tampa Bay where you didn't play particularly well in games three and four, but you did come out with two wins. So you have that in your back pocket that you're capable of winning there. Uh, But this is the point. Where if you go back to the narratives and the stories and the demons and the pressure and all of that stuff, now it does start to ratchet up on you. You're back in their building. And to me, all of that stuff, it really isn't, uh, I don't know. The Tampa crowd isn't particularly daunting in large part because we saw in games three and four, it was half full of Toronto fans. Um, But it is now on your mind If we don't win this one, we go back to the pressure cooker and frankly to a coin flip. And we've lost the coin flip a lot of times. Now, the law of averages would suggest that that means the coin at some point should come up our way again, right? But it might not. At best, it's still just a 50-50 if you uh, get to a game seven. And so you don't want to be in that situation again either with the heart of a lion, Tampa Bay Lightning, refuse to go away, drive a stake through their heart, all this shit. That's on your mind going into game six like it's game seven, right? How bad do I really want to go and tempt fate again with the game seven thing? So that to me is where the pressure comes from in game six. I'm not particularly intimidated by Tampa Bay at this point. They are still up three to two, right? I'm not particularly intimidated by the Tampa crowd. It's whatever. Like I said, the Leafs already showed they can show up and take a third of the tickets if they feel like it. Uh, And you just won two games there. So that's not the daunting part. The daunting part is all the other stuff that's in your head trying to avoid game seven. So that's where you're at at this point for me. Um, A couple of things coming out of this game. Justin Hall, minus three. In about 13 minutes of ice time, a little more than that by the end. I I guess I haven't checked the stats here. They haven't been updated since, uh, you know, I looked there just uh, before the game ended. But man, just not good. And the second goal, especially, where he turns the wrong way and then Samsonov gets fooled. He sort of half-turned. That whole thing was ugly. Justin Hall takes that penalty on Kucherov as well. And he's been bad through the entire series. He's been on the ice for over 70% of Tampa Bay's goals. And I always encourage people to keep the context in mind. So, yes... He kills penalties a lot, and when you get scored on on the power play, it's probably not entirely Justin Hall's fault, but they do go up on that record. 
But there's enough other ones out there where you're just like, I don't know what you're doing right now. But here's the problem. Because I don't hate the idea of bringing Timothy Liljegren in at this point. I think it's a big ask to get up to playoff speed. You should also remember he wasn't playing particularly well down the stretch. Remember, the Leafs made all those changes. At one point, they had like eight, nine defensemen skating around at practices. He wasn't handling that well. I don't know if it had rattled his cage a little bit that they had brought in people to play ahead of him or if it was the lack of reps or just, you know, like I said, a shot to his confidence. Whatever it might have been, he wasn't playing well. And so I wasn't shocked when they went to uh, Brody, Shen, and Hall to start the playoffs. That's a more experienced lineup. You brought in Shen for a reason. And frankly, Luke Shen's been pretty good in this series, better than I expected him to be. Brody and McCabe, I mentioned on one of the earlier shows with Maddie, I haven't been in love with because I think defensively they're doing their best, but there's not a great puck transporter there, right? So that's your matchup pair. Big face off in the defensive zone, or you're going to put them out against point or things like that. And I get that mentality. And frankly, I think it makes some sense. But once you get a chance to clear it out, neither one of those guys are really the guy you want to skate it out. Brody's okay, but that's not typically his role, right? One of the reasons that he excelled quite so much with Morgan Riley was they complemented each other well. Morgan Riley's terrific at skating the puck out of danger, right? Getting it into the zone, all these sorts of things. And TJ Brody's the guy to support him. That's not Jake McCabe. And they both sort of need a guy to transport. Now they're doing okay. And frankly, in game five, especially early on, Jake McCabe was fantastic. was all over the ice. But that pairing is struggling a little bit to get it up out of the zone and get you moving through the neutral zone. So what you could do is split them up. You could keep Justin Hall in the lineup and take out Giordano because And that would be hard, right? He is a veteran guy. There's a lot of pride there. There's a lot of respect there. But he's sort of looking old, too. Like, that pairing in general hasn't been great, and I'm not convinced it's just Justin Hall. So you could do that. And then you would have Justin Hall, perhaps, with TJ Brody and Timothy Liljegren with Jake McCabe, or vice versa, however you want to do that. And that keeps Hall in. Now, I like both of those pairs better in terms of breaking the puck out of your zone and creating some offense, but I don't trust either one of them as much defensively as I do McCabe and Brody together. So that's a problem. That's a problem. If you want to break up the Giordano-Hall pairing, it might be Gio that has to come out. You could take out just Justin Hall, and I know that's what a lot of you are clamoring for, and I don't hate the idea. I'm I'm okay with it at this point. We've seen a lot. Like I said, it is a lot to ask. And this is, I, I guess I've sort of gone full circle here, right? Uh, I, I meant to get to this. It is a lot to ask of Timothy Liljegren. After five playoff games, everybody's into that mode. You get in and you get up to speed when you already weren't playing well down the stretch. But he would, better than Hall, help you break it out and break through the neutral zone, which you've been struggling with terribly. But Liljegren does not kill penalties the way Justin Hall does. And I hear the 
things you're already yelling at your listening device. That Justin Hall isn't killing penalties particularly well anyway, so who cares? And I, I, you may not be wrong. Like, that's what I'm saying here as I go all Johnny High voice. I have time for that argument. I'm just not convinced that what you're getting in terms of the up and out, the creating more offense, the getting through the neutral zone can be completely replaced, especially on the penalty kill by Timothy Lilligren. So those are a couple of options. There are a couple things to think about. I think I would give Gio at this point the benefit of the doubt for one more game because I do think Keith wants to keep McCabe and Brody together rather than split them up onto separate pairs and, and worry about minutes at that point and all that shit. And if you're taking Giordano out and keeping McCabe and Brody together, your only option is Eric Gustafson. Again, he was having a good year for Washington before you traded for him. And uh, his numbers defensively have been better than they have been in the past. He's known pretty well across the league as an all-offense type of defenseman. But there is some signs, there are some signs, that his defense has been improving. It's still a trust thing, and do you trust him as much as you trust Giordano and Gio's experience and, and all of that? But if you're not willing to break up Brody and McCabe and you want Gio to come out, that's your only option is Gustafson, a guy who plays, I mean, I guess Victor Mete is kicking around. I don't know when the last time you saw him, but he's back skating with the team and everything. To me, it seems far more likely that the top two pairs stay together. Gio gets another chance and maybe Lilligren comes in for Justin Hall. But even that, I'm not convinced. The other conversation, and rightfully so, and I was wrong about this, we'll get to that, is Michael Bunting. Uh, on Wednesday, when the Leafs practiced, it looked pretty clear that Michael Bunting wasn't going to play. I tweeted out, I wasn't sold on that. Sheldon Keefe suddenly wanting to do all his John Cooper Jedi mind trick bullshit that he's just not very good at. And I suspected that he just wasn't showing his hand. That at the end of the day, Bunting probably would play. Likely Lafferty comes out. And uh, he didn't. He, <laughs> he didn't play. Uh, healthy scratched, all that stuff. And I would be very surprised if he's not back in for game six. And I do assume it will be Lafferty who comes out. If you want to know how that played out tonight, uh, Lafferty was a minus two uh, in about just under seven minutes of ice time. So he's not contributing much. He's actually actively hurting you. He's probably the easiest guy to, to take out. Um, the problem is I don't know where the trust is between Sheldon Keefe and Michael Bunting at this point. Michael Bunting doesn't really fit on the fourth line with Camp and Zach Aston Reese, especially with how much Sheldon Keefe is leaning on them in the defensive zone. That's not Bunting's game to defend like that. So you have some options. You could move Achari down to the fourth line. Like, just because Bunting is coming in for Lafferty doesn't mean he has to take Lafferty's spot in the exact lineup. So you could move Achari back down to the fourth line and play him with Camp and uh, Zach Aston-Reese. And that might work. That might be okay. 
and that would allow you to play bunting on a third line with O'Reilly and Kerfoot. Maybe you like having a little extra jam on that O'Reilly line with Nolachari in that spot, in which case you could move Kerfoot down to the fourth line. And Keefe seems to trust him reasonably, you know, defensively as well. So he could be buried in that, that matchup role in the defensive zone without hurting you too much. And Bunting could shift on to the left side with O'Reilly and Achari. Or you forgive and forget, you hope he's learned his lesson, and you throw him back up there onto one of your top two lines, probably back with Matthews, because Yarncroak, he's had his moments, and I kind of like him there sometimes on the Matthews line, and apparently at one point Matthews asked for him. But maybe that moves Yarncroak back down with O'Reilly um, and whatever else you've done. Uh, Nyes stays with uh, Tavares and and Marner. Or you could go the other way, right? Bunting goes with Tavares and, and Marner, but I, I don't know that I love that one quite as much. I think Bunting's coming back in, but it's not as simple as just dropping him into Lafferty's spot. He doesn't work in that role. So you're going to have to rejig a lot of things to make it fit. And I, I just think you have a guy who has scored 23 goals each of the last two seasons, 60 points each of the last two seasons. I sort of understood what he was doing tonight. Like I said, I didn't buy it when that's what he showed me. But I I think it's hard now that you're into it, right? I understood. We won three in a row, even though we didn't look great, maybe, in the second two of them. Don't bring up a winning lineup. I don't know. People are kind of making fun of that notion now. Uh, it's, it's a little bit hindsight. Um, but... I expect he'll be back in now. It's a 60-point guy, and you need points, right? You need to score here. I don't know how it goes. I understand. Like, I would be nervous that the refs are looking for him, but uh, I think he'll be back in now. I don't suppose you really have a choice, right? Anyway, just a couple of notes coming out of uh, Game 5. We're heading back to Tampa. It's Game 6. You knew... Deep in your blue and white heart of hearts, this is how it was going to have to go. It was going to be long, it was going to be tough, and it wasn't going to come easy. Which I guess is the same thing as I just said when I said it was going to be tough. Those are the same thing, Matt. Uh, (laughs) These late night shows are starting to get to me a little bit. Uh, Look, they're going to do it or they're not. I still think they will, but I'm not like I said, I'm not really freaked out yet because I always sort of suspected this was going to have to happen in those deep games. I picked Toronto in six in the only place I did my official uh, picks. The only, I only did one pool, only one prediction, whatever. I said Toronto in six, and that's still on the table. So we'll see, you know, how that shakes loose from here. They're going to have to kill the demons. Or not. That's what we came into this series knowing. You got a couple nice breaks, a couple good performances there late, a couple nice overtime bounces, everybody's feeling good. And they should. And you still should. You're still up 3-2. to two. You got to win one game before Tampa wins two. That's pretty doable for this team. Did finish 13 points ahead of them in the regular season. So... I won't be this pleasant and this calm about it. 
on Saturday night during game six. But I'm not surprised we're here. This was always the place you were going to have to get to. This was always the dragon you were going to have to face down. And so just sit back and, and let's see what happens. I did think they played better tonight than they did in either of the two games down in Tampa Bay. Not good enough. I still think this team has another gear to get to. But better. And as long as you're building, as long as you're continuing to improve as the series goes along, in theory, you should hit your stride at game six and seven. But there's no way around the fact that this was a missed opportunity. Avoid all of it. Have an extra couple days rest. Let us off the hook for Christ's sake. But it just doesn't work that way, does it? We will be back. More buds and bolts after game six. We'll see what Maddie's saying at that point, if he's found the passion. And uh, we'll do this all again. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you for listening. And we will see you all after game six.